Welcome back to the American Maritime Podcast. We're glad to have you aboard. I'm Sada Fuentes, Secretary Treasurer of the American Maritime Partnership, and I'll be your host today. In this segment, we're joined by Luke Lorenz, Director of Legislative Affairs at the Navy League of the United States. Luke also is a retired officer with the United States Army, serving in both European and Central Commands. He also holds advanced degrees from Johns Hopkins University and George Washington University. Welcome, Luke. Thank you so much for having me, Sada. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Let's start things off with you telling us a little bit about yourself. What's your background in the national security space? Sure, absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, I began my military career as a commissioned officer in the United States Army. I served in a Patriot missile battalion with missions in both UCOM and CENTCOM. Uh, we engaged in a number of joint uh, military exercises with a lot of our NATO partners, uh, particularly in Eastern Europe. So that gives me a bit of insight uh, into what is happening in that part of the world today, as I'm sure we're all following that situation. Uh, also, uh, working in a Patriot Missile Battalion, uh, we really got to see how the different uh, branches of the military work together. There's a lot of interoperability with the Navy, with the Air Force, uh, so it was interesting uh, to kind of see that aspect of it as well. Uh, now, since coming back to the civilian world, uh, I worked for a time with an organization called the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Now, that organization does a lot of great work on really tracking down uh, some of the critical components of our military hardware which are almost entirely manufactured uh, in foreign nations, sometimes in adversarial nations. Uh, and so during my time there, I really got to see the danger of over-reliance on uh, you know, foreign supplies of some of these uh, military components. And I think this will touch on what we're gonna discuss today. And then of course, I've spent the last two years as Director of Legislative Affairs uh, here at the Navy League. Uh, now, during that time, it has been absolutely fascinating to see the shift in focus to maritime priorities as we're looking at great power competition with nations like Russia and China. Uh, I'll kind of finish uh, by saying something that I've said many times before, but I'll say it again. As much as I love the Army and love my time in the Army, uh, the reality on the ground now is very different than what it was over the past two decades. We're not looking at large-scale land conflicts or counterinsurgency at this point we're looking at a return to great power competition. And that means a return to focusing on maritime forces, making sure that we have those maritime forces in the Indo-Pacific, the South China Sea, the Arctic, the Baltic Sea, so on and so forth. So I really think I am in the right place uh, in terms of pursuing my interest in securing American national security, uh, working through legislative affairs to ensure that Congress is aware of what's most important for American national security. And at this moment in time, that really is uh, the maritime forces. So I hope that gives your audience a little background. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Sounds like the Navy League is lucky to have someone with your with your background and can provide that insight. Uh, so, you know, coming from the Army, you really know how much logistics matters to that service. Can you tell us more about Sealift and why it's important? Sure, absolutely. So logistical considerations are absolutely essential to any type of military operation. Uh, you know, we often think of the first wave of an assault. We think of those bombs and bullets and boots on the ground uh, when the fighting first begins. Uh, but if a conflict is not resolved within, say, 48 hours, suddenly all those logistical considerations really come into play and into focus. Uh, if you want to see this playing out in real time, you can, of course, uh, look at what's happening with Russian forces in Ukraine. Uh, after only a few days on the ground, maybe about a week on the ground, they're running out of, uh, they began running out of fuel and food and 
cold weather gear. Uh, these are just a few of the considerations that should have been taken uh, into account before uh, that invasion uh, began. Uh, so you can see that it didn't take very long for a number of these uh, military convoys uh, to become essentially sitting ducks. They ran out of fuel. They're just kind of at a standstill, and, and now they can kind of be picked off uh, by, by Ukrainian forces. Uh, it's not impossible to see uh, a situation like that occur in the Pacific if we were not able to resupply and refuel our forces there in the event of any type of long-term uh, military conflict. Uh, and that brings me to one point that I really want to emphasize uh, to your listeners, and that is Sealift, uh, the U.S. flag fleet, the U.S. merchant marine. These are the unsung guarantors of victory uh, when America goes to war. You look at some of our large-scale military conflicts, I mean, obviously one of the first that comes to mind is, of course, World War II. Uh, it was an enormous effort to resupply our forces in the Pacific and in the Atlantic, uh, and that uh, effort came from the U.S. flag fleet and from the U.S. merchant marine. You know, a lot of folks see these uh, large battleships that we have in, in the Navy, uh, and they forget that uh, there's actually not a lot of uh, cargo space on those battleships. That's not what they're intended for. They are they are war fighting system. Uh, we need the flag fleet, we need the merchant marine to actually bring the bombs, the bullets, the fuel, the food, uh, even the soldiers themselves uh, to conflict zones around the world. Uh, and so those logistical considerations, those sea lift considerations, absolutely critical uh, to America's military efforts. Uh, that's been true in the past and, and that will certainly be true in the future as well. Yeah, Great insight, Luke. Thank you. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? One of the Navy League's first principles is that America is a maritime nation. Can you tell us a bit about what that means and why it matters that the United States has a strong shipbuilding and maritime industry? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as you're well aware, uh, Sada, America's economic security is dependent on ocean-borne trade, and America's national security is largely dependent on ocean-borne forward presence, our naval presence, our Marine Corps presence, uh, in places, as I mentioned, like the Indo-Pacific, South China Sea, in the Arctic sea lanes, which are opening up, uh, and in the, uh, in the Baltic Sea. Now, taking that second part first, uh, America really projects its power around the world uh, through these uh, maritime forces. Uh, you know, we have these, uh, this naval presence, Marine Corps presence uh, in these different places, uh, and that allows us to keep our adversaries on their heels, to keep any potential conflict uh, happening in their uh, realms of influence, on their home turf, so to speak, and not on ours. So it's absolutely essential that, uh, that we maintain those forces. Um, but uh, going back to kind of the economic security as well, imagine if we were dependent on foreign shipping capacity for our supply lines and, and for our uh, domestic needs. Uh, that's just as concerning uh, as not having adequate military forces. So of course, uh, we need that uh, domestic uh, flag fleet. We need uh, that merchant marine. And then, of course, we need the shipyards and the capacity to build and maintain uh, these vessels and, of course, to also have the skilled workforce that's necessary uh, to build and maintain these vessels. 
So these are all absolutely uh, critical considerations. If we care about America's economic and national security, then we very much need to care about um, preserving our flag fleet, expanding our flag fleet, uh, and taking into account some of those things like our shipbuilding industrial base. Thank you. Thanks, Luke. Right now, some opponents are calling for Jones Act waivers because of the global uncertainty around the energy sector. Can you tell us a bit about why that is a dangerous idea, especially right now? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you know, Sada, and, and many of us know who follow these issues, uh, there are just a few uh, special interest groups who often try to tie the Jones Act into kind of the issue du jour. And uh, today, of course, that's high energy prices. Uh, now, whenever uh, these organizations come out with talking points trying to, to really um, kind of blast the, the Jones Act, uh, we compare that with the research that we've done and, and the data that we have access to, and their arguments really don't hold water. Uh, this concept that um, you know the price you're paying at the pump is, is somehow uh, the responsibility or, or the result of, of the Jones Act is, is simply nonsensical. Uh, so many of these arguments are, are you know, not really worth their salt. Uh, now, if we were to allow these attempts to undermine the Jones Act, what we would essentially be doing is handing over so much of our national security and our maritime security, again, to foreign shipping capacity. Uh, now, bear in mind that one of the nations with the largest shipping capacity out there is, of course, China. So undermining the Jones Act uh, is potentially handing a large portion of our maritime security uh, over to the Chinese. That's something that I'm certainly not comfortable with. It's something that I think the majority of Americans are, are not uh, comfortable with. And I would mention, I think, uh, you know, something I'd really like your listeners to take away from this discussion is that the Jones Act is essential to the U.S. flag fleet. The U.S. flag fleet is essential to the merchant marine. And the merchant marine is essential to all of our wartime efforts. If you weaken one, you weaken all of them. Uh, and so that's why I think these proposed waivers and, and other efforts to undermine the Jones Act are very, very dangerous, and, and we should be very, very concerned about it. Thank you so much, Luke. That was a really succinct way to kind of make this very important and critical point, and we really appreciate your kind of jointness perspective of having the Army, the Navy, and really all of the sea services together uh, in your perspective. So thank you very much for that. Thank you, Sada. And thank you again for joining the American Maritime Podcast. That is all for this segment of the American Maritime Podcast, and this is Sada Fuentes signing off. Thank you.